0: Doug, thank you for that introduction. Doug mentioned some of the roles that I've had the privilege to be in. Within the Christian Missionary Alliance family, I've pastored a church. Um, I've taught at one of the Bible schools. I've been a missionary 15 years in Indonesia. A couple of those years, we were invited to leave Indonesia, as in we got kicked out. And we uh, moved to Malaysia for a couple of years at that point. But spent most of our missionary career in Southeast Asia representing Alliance Church is just like you folks and so privileged to do that. I remember when we departed way back in the year, 1984. Know that sounds really a long time ago to some of y'all, but 1984. And You know, you speak in a lot of churches before you go. You want to create those prayer connections and relationships and all that's a part of that. I just remember God giving me a, a sense of uh, something that needed to be said to these churches. So everywhere I went, I said, you know, we're going to Indonesia. We got our little family. I had a two-year-old boy at that time, son Jason. And, and uh, everywhere I went, I just ended with saying, you know what? And if you all aren't going with us, I really don't want to go. And I meant that. And I know we can't go physically, but boy, we, we, our missionaries really need us to be there with them. At whatever level we can be and praying for them and and supporting them and encouraging them and, and knowing their world and getting a sense of that. And when they come home, certainly there's all kinds of things we can do. But the closer that connection happens, the more effective we get around the world, folks. And I'm here to tell you, you play a critical role, you know. And I'm not just referring to the funding side of things, which is a significant piece that our local churches do, but it's the whole relationship thing with missionaries. Don't let them just walk out of here. Who just walked out of here a couple days ago or something? Pastor Scott, you said at least a couple just left recently. Or don't let them just walk out of here and see y'all later. See you in however long. Retain that connection. Encourage them. Uh, they need that. But yeah, there was a missionary experience. And then I worked at the national office for about 10 years. I oversaw uh, the office that 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 works with all of our young people, the new missionaries, preparing them, training them, working them through a process to send them out. And so for 10, 11 years, that was a tremendous privilege. Probably 70% of our missionaries that are on the field today came through that office during my time. I've read their I've read their applications, I've interviewed them, gotten to know them. I've seen their psych evaluations, you know. I know which of them are, and which of them are, you know. And uh, their language study testing results and all that. So you got to know these guys uh, at a pretty good level. And that, was, that put me on the leadership team of our international work there out of Colorado Springs. So I like to say, and I started actually... Late to the party, you hear a story like that and you think, man, this guy must have been raised in an Alliance home. I wasn't. Must have started out quite young with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Well, I was, 23 or thereabouts when I came to Christ and and about the third church I tried to go to was a CMA church and one or two Sundays there and it was like, wow, I'm home. Talking about all this mission stuff and missionaries and everything, I am absolutely home. Funny story about that is, The second Sunday I went, I was a new believer. Didn't know much about the Lord, let alone church. Didn't know anything about church. And totally missed it in the announcement somewhere, but I came back that third Sunday and the door was locked. Well, I had not heard the announcement that they were building a new sanctuary outside, you know, moved out of the main, the downtown part of the city and built this new church, and they were all gone. I thought, what a crazy bunch of people, these Christian Missionary Alliance people. They locked the door, and so, you know, you can't find them. But I finally did catch up with them. And so a couple of these different roles, God has allowed me to literally know us from the classroom to the boardroom, and I, I told the story this morning, which interesting maybe, um, but I think the role that I was in with the CMA where I made my strongest contribution was, <clears throat> you know, not as a teacher, not as a preacher, not as a missionary. Um, actually, it's kind of embarrassing to say that. I think I made my strongest contribution as a, as a, as a janitor. Um, if there's a hall of fame for janitors somewhere, uh, I'm in it. If there's a Hall of Fame for CMA janitors somewhere, there's a bronze bust of me just inside the door. Actually it wouldn't be there because they only do that for dead people and you know, so that that might happen later. What do you mean? Well, when I was a student, newly come to Christ, went to one of our colleges, Nyack College. My work study job was to keep the shiny, to keep the wooden floors of the library, this old estate building that had been given to Nyack College, beautiful wood floors. They were meant to be kept beautiful. That was my job. I had my little polisher, you know, my paste wax and all that. <clears throat> so I'm polishing away one day up there and I run out of paste wax. I got to go back to my little cleaning closet <clears throat> and, and I am getting my paste wax off the top shelf and I notice three books sitting up there, old books. And I'm a Bible school student and books is what it's all about for me at that point. <clears throat> and so I thumbed them down and the top one fell off, boom, and I caught it. It was an old Bible. I'm like, wow, I wonder whose Bible this is. And I start looking through it, and there's writing around the head, really old, dusty too, going through it. And I go to the flyleaf to see who it is. I don't know how familiar you are with CMA history, but the name that I encountered there, I was just amazed. There it was, Albert Benjamin Simpson, who, if you know our history, A.B. Simpson was the founder, 1880-whatever two or four, somewhere right in there. And the man that God so greatly used. And I'm like, I'm holding the man's Bible. You know, Bible school student. My first thought was, is, does anybody know that the, the, the Dr. Simpson's Bible's down here in a cleaning closet? I don't know what that says about how we appreciate our history. But I got a little nervous about that. I went down to the president's office just down the hall and I said, hey, uh, I found Dr. Simpson's Bible down here in a closet. And the gal was just shocked. Well, the next day, that Bible was under glass in the foyer of the library. And today it sits under glass in the national office. So, it's a shame there wasn't an eBay back in that day, but (laughs) missed my opportunity. But literally I say, you know, I think I I might, I don't know how to say this humbly but I might have saved the entire Christian Missionary Alliance that day. You know, we might not be here. Thank you. That's somewhat appropriate. But listen, you know, I I love the Alliance. I, I came to it as an outsider. I came to it with someone with the fresh eyes and the new eyes and just, it was amazing to me to see what God was doing through this, this group. And, and, um, uh, that's what I'd like to share with you this morning is some of the big picture kind of stuff I've been on almost all of our mission fields. I've, like I said, been a part of sending out a lot of these workers, and, and we'll take a look at all those kinds of things. But, but let's, let's jump into some slides here. I want to talk about, go ahead and start those up. Five compelling facts about Alliance missions that compel us to get engaged, that compel us to get involved. And uh, you need to be thankful for my wife because I had 10. And my wife said, no, you're never going to get through 10. You aren't even going to get through five and I might not, but we'll give it a shot. Our motivation, what, what, what's the base motivation behind Alliance Missions? Is it alleviating suffering around the world? No. You know, is it, is it the provision of clean water so people can be healthy and have clean water? Is it, are the, is it those compassion-based kinds of efforts that drive us, drive us, and And when I analyze what drives us and I know our history and and the sense of where leadership is going and Simpson was always big on, that our motivation is to bring back the king. There is a theological truth at the base of everything we do. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then what? Then the end will come. See, as Simpson saw in that, the connection between the end of, uh, the second coming of Christ, the end coming, and missions, the gospel being preached to all nations. And so a theological truth has driven us. When we run out of compassion, because we do, we can only, compassion can only take you so far. Compassion is really important being compassionate for the poor, being compassionate for those who who don't have clean water and all those things, the what things that we do as far as missions is important, but the why is even more important and the why starts right here with biblical truth of all of this connecting to the same. You know, when you run out of compassion and you remember why you're doing this, because it all connects to Jesus' return, you know, that keeps you going. And I have to be very careful when I make these statements lest I be misunderstood to think that, you know, the, the provision of clean water and the, the alleviating of, of poverty around the world and, and the rescuing of those trafficked through human trafficking kind of situations of which we're all, we're involved in all of that. I'm not trying to say that that's not important, but what will carry us through to complete the work that we're here to do are those great commission passages. Matthew 28:18. go ye into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. Acts 1, 8, um, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And and I don't ever want to, with a church, rush on by that stuff and assume that we all know that and understand that and connect it to what we're all about. I'd like to stop there for just a minute and remind us that that's where our motivation comes. That's rock solid. That's the foundation. That's unshakable. When you get tired, when you get worn out, because working with the poor will wear you out. And those kinds of things, uh, this one won't. This, this gives uh, fresh energy. So we'll talk about some of the what that we do. And the school in Jordan is a good example of, of, of uh, meeting a human need and alleviating certain human situations. And so there we have the school. You have the school in Amman, Jordan that is a part of that. But again, the teachers that teach in that classroom and, and those classrooms and the people that are involved in that ministry, we want them to be thinking that this this all goes back to the nations hearing the gospel that, that Christ might return. We're involved in refugee ministry around the world. And, and if you're a, a, from another organization, a, a very uh, well-beloved, respected organization, Samaritan's Purse, and you're sitting here this morning, you know that, that we do this in concert in many situations through the Middle East as we're involved in refugee ministry. Uh, there in that setting and, and we've gotten to the point where we've put a team recently in Berlin Germany and a team in Barcelona, Spain, who Barcelona, Spain, that's where the, the migrants are coming across the Mediterranean and trying to get into Europe. And so our teams are meeting them there and we have some Arabic speakers in those teams. And the team in Berlin, Germany, which is actually the picture in the upper right hand corner. Um, on the streets of Berlin, they're meeting the refugees that are, that are moving into that setting. So, so we're doing these kinds of things, but all of it comes back to that biblical foundation. We drill wells. We're drilling wells throughout Africa in many villages, targeting, focusing specifically on those villages where the gospel has yet to come, where there is no church, Going in there and provision of clean water just opens doors for conversations and relationships and ministry and, and churches are planted on the backs of these kinds of efforts. Um, we we establish community centers uh, throughout largely the Middle East. The three that are depicted here are there in the Middle East because it's difficult to get a toehold. You can't walk into those settings and identify yourself as a missionary. You you create other kinds of identities and So our people have gotten very creative at establishing community centers. The one on the far left is there in the capital of Jordan in Amman and all kinds of ministry goes on there. And and again, as I show you these things, I just want to remind you, they are yours. They belong to you. God used you to do this. These are things that you can celebrate. There's Amman, Jordan. The middle picture is in Northern Iraq where we've seen numbers of um, Kurds come to Christ in that setting. And again, there's English classes that go on in there and, and business classes and conversational things. All kinds of things go on in these community centers. The one on the far right is from a country I won't name publicly on the northern rim of the continent of Africa. A country of 11 million people where we know of 350 believers. Think about the ratio 11 million people, 350 known believers. A very challenging setting in which to work. And there we have the community center, the family place where all kinds of ministry happens. There's a coffee shop in there somewhere. There's a daycare center in there somewhere. Uh, there's all kinds of things. And the top floor, I told folks this morning, is used for our exercise. You know, Uh, we have discovered that especially the gals in this part of the world love to exercise and they even have a special uh, love for a specific kind of exercise, which I have no idea how it works or uh, what it is, but it's called Zumba. Are there any Zumba doers here? Is that what they call you, a Zumba doer? That sounds funny. That's like ABFBF, what is that? ABFBFW. That's by far the longest acronym I think I've heard in the CMA. But, but our, our gals, are some of our missionaries are trained in Zumba. And so upstairs to the top floor every Thursday afternoon, the building is locked so there's no males on the premises. And off come the kabayas, off come all the, the long Islamic uh, garb that the gals come into the facility with. They know there are no men on the premises. The doors are locked. And underneath they've got whatever it is you do Zumba in. And they go for an hour of Zumba, and then it's just ladies talking. And they talk about their kids, and they talk about their husbands, and they talk about their families. And it creates all kinds of opportunities for conversations to go in different kinds of directions. And this is just an idea of some of the things that happen in those community centers. We're into medical work. Again, here's the what of why we're doing but the why is always so critical to keep in mind. Women and Children's Hospital in Mali, uh, folks, you're well represented around the world in terms of various kinds of ministries that you are a part of. Medical work that goes on in village settings. Again, this is some doctors getting out. Um, what I wanted to have done here, I didn't realize how this was gonna work. But just to, to, to have over the pictures of what we do, the why we do it. And the why we do it is, is those scriptural admonitions. It's those commands that we have from The Lord. That we didn't just dream this stuff up, but rather, um, whoop, let's go back to that. Number two is our membership is a phenomenal sending base. And, and here's where I like to recognize the role of our local churches right here in the U.S. Uh, what an amazing group of churches we are here uh, in the United States and so committed to all of this work. And, and, and my recognition that this is where it all starts. Uh, this is where the praying starts. This is where the giving starts. This is where the going and the sending start. You know, the Alliance for New Missionaries, we don't recruit here, there, and everywhere. We go right to our local churches and we encourage leadership in local churches to identify uh, young people or even older people who have a, a sense of a call from God to go into, into serving overseas. And so we, the whole recruiting path is set all through the local church. Um, and that's our focus. So it really does start there. Some idea, I think there's some Boone people on here somewhere. You recognize anybody in that picture? Um, But just an idea of of how around the U.S. here, um, it's not only missionaries that are my heroes, uh, pastors are my heroes. I love your pastor, and and, uh, I just get to meet these guys. Uh, They're just phenomenal. I'm in church after church somewhat like this. Um, As I travel the country working with about 120 churches, And uh, it's just amazing for me to stop and think on a Sunday morning like this, of this type of gathering and worship going on all over the United States simultaneously. And God just pleased with that and blessing and using that church family. Here's an idea of what we look like around the U.S. If If you've ever wondered of, you know, what's the Alliance Church family look like? I'm not real comfortable with the word denomination and describing. That sounds a little too governmental for me. I like the idea of thinking of us as a family or a network of churches that cooperate together in terms of not only reaching our local communities, our Jerusalems, but all around the world. About 2,000 churches, half a million members. 45 languages are spoken in CMA churches. A $41 million budget is generated. And again, we don't go here, there, and everywhere, far and wide in terms of generating the financial support for this ministry, but right to our local churches. And, and the generosity that surfaces in these settings to be a part of funding this kind of ministry all around the world is just amazing. 60 to 70 missionary candidates a year come from this. The third fact for me that compels me to be involved is just to look at our, the manpower, the missionaries that we do support are so committed and competent. And as I said before, about a 10 or 11 year period, it was my privilege to work with these young missionary candidates and oversee a process of training and preparation and interviews and testing and all that we run them through in order to then send them out as Alliance missionaries so that we can stand in front of churches like yours and say that these are great people. These are gifted people. These are committed people. These are dedicated people. These are people that are going to go out and get the job done. So let's get behind them. And, and I remember vice president would pull me into the office every once in a while and he'd give me that little speech. He'd say, Rick, I don't ever want you to, to move somebody forward in our process that you cannot stand before a church and say, these are great people. And so I lived under that kind of thinking for those years at the national office. And, and you know, it wasn't that difficult because God just brought great people our way. Let me show you one couple and highlight them just briefly. Upper right corner picture, the far right young man, not so young anymore, Larry Lane that I met about 10 years ago. His wife Krista on the other end. I remember the day in Colorado Springs in my office as I read their applications and frankly I don't think I came across in all of my time there a more uh, background story filled with pain, woundedness, and dysfunction. There was drug abuse. Uh, there was rehabilitation. Uh, there were broken families that they were from, not just broken in a traditional sense. I mean just totally messed up. And, and that's a flag for us in terms of sending missionaries. Because even if someone says they've worked through all that stuff, been to counseling, come to Christ, done all the different things. We're good now. We have experience of people saying we're good now until we get them in a cross-cultural situation and the stresses and the pressures and everything that are a part of that build and boop, here comes all that stuff. We have to bring them home and it can take a lifetime to get over that. And so we're very careful about it. And I'm analyzing their, their background and things. Really, I just want to set it aside. I don't think so. Then I went out to, uh, where were they? They were in Sacramento, California. Went out and I met both of them. And, and it, it, it didn't get a lot better. Because then Larry told me the parts of his story that weren't in the application. And there had been an alcoholic father in the family in which he was raised. And one of his most vivid memories was his dad locking him and his young brother in a bedroom and proceeding to try to kill their mother in the living room. And Larry, vividly recalling the guy that opened the door was a police officer ushering him through a bloody living room. I think the wife survived. I don't know what happened with the rest of it, but that's where he just grew up with all kinds of pain. I remember the first time we met there in Sacramento. At one point he said, you know, I used to beat up guys like you. I'm pretty good size. Larry was 5'6", 5'7". He's just kind of a little guy. and uh, But... Built like a bull, he looked right at me. Yeah, I used to beat up guys like you. I used, I had so much pain, he said. And the only thing I could feel was pain. That I'd go into bars and I'd pick out the biggest guy in there and I'd pick a fight with him. And sometimes I'd do all right, and sometimes I wouldn't. do He said that's the way I lived for years until a great big guy at a Southern Baptist church up in Alaska, Larry and Krista were in the Air Force by then at whatever the air base is, came up to him and just put a big bear hug on him and said, I love you. He knew he was just a messed up guy, and God loves you. And Larry said, that just, that just, that just was revolting at first, but he just turned him around. He comes to Christ, the Air Force is helpful with the discipline, and so I'm meeting him and going through this process trying to get it straight in my head is this stuff all going to come back to haunt him are we messing him up sending him overseas and uh, um, we, we placed him in ministry down in Louisiana one of the pieces that I've left out for you here this morning is that um, they were climbers by hobby they loved to climb Larry's all about exercise you can see he started a Mighty Men Fitness Center there in Mongolia and we put him in Louisiana, you know, and he likes to climb. I know, we're not, we're not the smartest, whatever. I think the only mountains they have there in Louisiana is the on-ramps when you get on the highway. But what Larry and Krista started to do as I was walking with them through this was they would drive to gyms where they have these climbing centers. I don't know anything about it. And they would go to these climbing centers. And as I was talking to Larry about how that was going, he said, you know, we go to there climb and to exercise and stay in shape. But it's a ministry setting for me. And I said, tell me about it. He said, well, as we got in this, he said, I can go right to the top. He said, I'm, I'm a, he's a good climber. And so these other guys that are climbing in there are drawn to him. So he starts this whole little group of guys talking and he finds out most of them have already bought into some Hindu kind of thinking and mentality and religion. I said, what'd you do? He said, I went and got Robbie Zacharias's book, The Lotus and the Cross. And he said, I started into a book study with these guys and several of them came to Christ and it turned into a Bible study. And uh, he, said it's, he said, it's good, but it's bad. I said, well, yeah, obviously it's good. Guys are coming to Christ. What's the bad part? He said, well, we can't go back to that climbing gym now because it's always, we're hanging out with believers. And that's not what we're called to do. So we've got to find another climbing gym so we can get among people that don't know the Lord and lead them. So we send this guy to, you know, I I told leadership, I said, man, if you ever got a real challenging situation, I got the guy for you. So we needed a couple in Mongolia at that point. We sent him to Mongolia. Um, Mongolia is one of the hardest places in the world to live. I went there once. And I am not going back. And I don't advise, if, if you win like tickets to a free tour to Mongolia, don't take it. <laughs> Mongolia is, is one of the few places in the world where the Fahrenheit and the Celsius scales, you know, usually they're a little off like this. I don't remember which way. Well, in, in Mongolia, they intersect. Anybody know what temperature they intersect at? Yes, sir. Negative 40. I get an email from Larry every day when in Mongolia, that day hits. Rick, it hit. Doesn't matter what scale you're looking at. It's minus 40 and it's cold. And uh, they, they built a yurt and they lived in a yurt as a family. They've adopted a couple of kids and and uh, just done amazing ministry there. They saw, of course, Larry gets in with all the Mongolian guys that are, the national sport is wrestling. He's probably as good a wrestler as he is a climber. And he just, this is the kind of people that we have out there. And so when I come into churches and I encourage people to, to get behind and get connected to and get involved with these folks, uh, these are the kind of people that God has surfaced right out of Alliance Churches. Number four, our mobility keeps us on the cutting edge. We, we work hard to stay at the edge of kingdom expansion, which at this point has us largely in the Middle East. I know Pastor Scott just got back from some of these areas. I am aware that in 2014, we had a CMA church in Mosul. Okay, we know what's going on in Mosul today. That's one of the final battles with ISIS. It is not the kind of place anybody wants to be. Um. There's a building there somewhere that was the Alliance Church because in 2014, all of those believers fled. Now, they didn't go very far. They went to Dahuk and they went to Erbil and there are other Alliance churches in those settings. Um, but I keep thinking, and I've gone, on, uh, I've gone on Google Maps and I've tried to find this church building in Mosul because you can see some parts of it in that and I can't find it and i keep wishing that we had the millions of dollars that cnn has to to embed somebody into whatever military unit goes down the street and 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 uh, freeze that building up where it can be used again as a church cuz i know that's going to happen obviously we're not going to be able to celebrate the moment like that quite the way i would like to but but just an example of us staying on the cutting edge of uh, what God is doing around the world. That bottom picture is from Aleppo. We have members of the Alliance family to wake up on Sunday morning and that's what they go through in Aleppo to try to get to church. We do have active churches uh, in Aleppo. The family just has grown and grown and grown over the years. Um, and I talk a little bit about uh, our focus these days is the 1040 window, that square there in the middle. That, that as of uh, 2008, about 85% of our personnel and resources were outside that window in other countries and regions and settings doing ministry. We could see how everything was changing and that the final frontier was the Middle East. And it all started with the Arab Spring that began in Tunisia and went right around the Mediterranean. So we made a major decision, folks, representing you to get our people, personnel, and resources into that 1040 window. Where I, so today, which is just since 2008, 2009, We have flipped that thing and 82 to 85% of our workers and our work and our finances is all being invested right there in that setting where all of our workers tell us and I know other organizations are seeing the same thing. We're seeing more Muslims come to Christ these days, make decisions for Christ than we have in decades and much of it coming through visions and dreams and they're seeing Jesus and then contacting workers or Christians However they can find them, sometimes there are workers with the Christian Missionary Alliance talking about their dreams, getting it all sorted out, and being led to Christ. There's something unusual going on in the Muslim world. And, and we feel like Christian Missionary Alliance and there are other organizations that are right there just poised that God has moved us all into that setting. And, and uh, we're going to see some great things happen. The last thing that is a compelling fact for me is Our marks. Our marks. Our marks show significant results. There's fruit out there from all that, the giving that you've done down through the years and the praying that you've done through and down through the years and the sending that's been a part of that. Let me show you some of that. Um, looking at various uh, levels of research, every four minutes somewhere in the world, someone prays to receive Christ through CMA ministry. Some of that happens right here in ABF, right? Uh, every hour, three patients are treated by Alliance medical workers. Every day, 43 radio broadcasts carry the gospel to thousands, many of them who are hearing the gospel for the very first time. That's all part of stuff that y'all are doing. This isn't somebody else that's doing this. Okay. Every week, 3,000 new believers are baptized somewhere in the world through Alliance ministry because we've grown to the point where this thing is now just multiplying and multiplying out. Every month, 250 new churches and church groups learning the Alliance family. Every year, 10,000 new workers are trained in 125 Alliance schools. Giving you an idea of churches around the world, the number that we are looking at at this point is is almost uh, 22,386 churches, of which y'all are one. And so you can see the influence that we are having together all around the world as God uses us in this way. And the last number that I like to show churches in terms of fruitfulness, in terms of changed lives, in terms of people that have come to Christ around the world, our number would stand at that at this point. That's actually about a year old, so it's a little bit larger than that at this point. It takes two years to put our international statistics together. And now maybe some of you are looking at this slide and thinking, you know, he was here two years ago, and I think we saw that same slide. 6,293,872 Well, the background of the slide I did bring, but here's actually the slide that you saw last year when I was here. And if you go back and forth on it, you can see what has changed in the two-year period that we have been apart. Uh, And God has just been at work uh, bringing more people to himself uh, through Alliance Ministry. So let me just say thank you to you. Uh, Without a room like this, without a group like this, without a church like this, none of this would be happening. Uh, it's very much uh, a part of God using you in this kind of setting. And let me just challenge you, um, and I hope this does challenge you and, and draw you in even farther and draw you in even closer. And and those of us that are younger people here today who could who could serve in these kinds of situations would consider that and and pray about that. And and those of us who can be prayer warriors and prayer partners behind all of this would do that. And be the personal connection with our workers that can keep them on the field and keep them going. And then certainly there's a financial aspect of it. All of this ministry costs money. Our budget runs about $41 million a year. And it all comes right out of CMA churches uh, just like you folks here. So let me just say thank you very much. Actually, I did some research. And I don't think I shared this in the morning service. But y'all, in the last 10 years, uh, you're what I call a million-dollar church. Were you aware of that, Scott? You you were aware of that. Good. Uh, It's just over a million dollars that has uh, been given by this church to Alliance Missions uh, over the last 10-year period. Yes, certainly something to be excited about. Now do it again. Let's ask God to do it again. I'm not satisfied with six point whatever million. That was a whole generation. Now there's a new generation. And I challenge the next generation. Will that number go to 12 when you're my age and you're talking about should the Lord tarry? Uh, What's going on around the world? I believe God wants to do it again. And I know who he wants to do it through. So thank you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning that You have called us to join you in this work of the nations hearing the gospel, all in preparation for that wonderful day when we see the return of your son. Father, I pray for this congregation, bless them in every way, continue to use them powerfully around the world. Where there are young people that might be sitting here this morning, I pray that they they would hear your voice in their heart those who you would be calling into these kinds of roles. And each of us that, Father, you would be challenging us this morning to become a part and to do a, be a part of all of this, that around the world we might see even more people come to Christ. Again, I thank you for this great church. I ask your blessing on them all. In Jesus' name, amen.